0: Good morning. I, uh, I'm not glad that Pastor Franz is sick. I, I want to be clear about that up front. But it w- is a privilege to speak specifically on this uh, Sunday in Advent, this kind of midpoint Sunday, if you will, in the season of Advent. I love the Advent wreath. I love what it stands for. Uh, it's, it's a confusing wreath, though, isn't it? Why three candles and one well, that, that are purple and one pink? Well, I always ask that question, and the answer is this. The Advent season is one known as the coming. Obviously, the word for some of us would would be very clear. Advent means coming. But the idea is the coming of Christ again and the first time, right? We're remembering that time, and during that season, it's a season of repentance. It's a season of looking to our sin and God's salvation, our unrighteousness and God's righteousness. And so the purple candles have liturgically historically been a picture of the wounds of Christ. And as we see those, we are to remember the wounds that Christ had to bear for our unrighteousness. And then in the middle of, of, of Advent, we have this pink candle, and it's a pink candle of joy. That rose candle is historically and liturgically been a picture of joy. Roses are joyful. And and it's kind of the midpoint of Advent that we come and we celebrate the joy. And as the Holmquist family read for us today, that picture of the shepherds is where we have traditionally and historically gone. Uh, I want to read that text again for you today. Although those children read it lovely and well for us, I want to go a little bit beyond to where they read uh, from our Advent calendar readings, our Advent wreath readings today. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read that famous and well-known story of the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told them. Father in heaven, these are your words. Help us to see in them the eternal joy that we have through your son Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. A band with which I became familiar a couple of years ago, or several years ago now, is a band called Page CXVI. I I don't know if anybody knows that band at all. It's It's not really a band. It's really... One woman who sings, and I think her husband plays some instrumental with her, uh, she focuses a lot on hymns and, and popular songs, and she rewrites them. And one of the songs that she rewrote and sang was, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And we uh, did any of you instinctively want to start clapping when I said that? I got the joy, joy, we're, we're, we're clapping, we want that, right? And that's how we think of that song. And it's very positive, it's very upbeat, it's very uplifting. But if you listen to Paige CXVI's version of that song, what you will find is that it's very, very depressing. It's almost, you know, it's in a minor key. It's, I've got the, I, I can't sing that well. She's very good. I'm not, so I'm not going to try. But it's, I've got the joy, joy. It's a very sad song. And I started to, to wonder why, and I'm like, this is like depressing. And I wanted to turn it off, and I, I, for some reason, somebody directed me to a link, and I read about why this song was the way that it was. And, and she had sat down. It was written the night, the, the, her, her version of it, or, or her setting of it, was written the night her father died. And she and her father had had a particularly difficult relationship growing up, and, and he had not been a Christian, uh, as I understand it, potentially abusive. And, and at the end of his life, he became a Christian, and they, their relationship was mending. But he got cancer, and he died. And she was upset with God. Why would you let this happen now? Finally, where where uh, you know we can have this good relationship? And in her frustration, she sat down and remembered the joy that extends beyond. Death. And she wrote with the feelings of her heart and the words of the promise the version of the song that you can look up and stream on Spotify. Joy. Is it circumstantial? What is true joy? Is it a permanent smile on our face? Or a happy-go-lucky attitude always looking at the bright side of life? Is it a subjective subjective feeling which flees when something bad does happen? How do we deal with joy when our circumstances aren't joyful? In other words, how can a person face awful circumstances and struggle to put a smile on their face yet experience joy? Yet this is what this text promises. Most of you know this by heart. Most of you had to memorize it for a church pageant that you did during Christmas time when you were growing up. Most of you heard it on Charlie Brown, right? When Linus, he tells the joyless Charlie, what what is Christmas all about? He's all upset, right? And Linus comes in and he says, well, this is what it's all about. And he shares this text and he promises joy. There are three guarantees concerning true joy that will comfort the joyless. We see them in this text. And I want to, to think about this. We, we see it in the, uh, the first The first truth is a little bit something I'm going to have to unpack, but it's this. True joy comes despite present circumstances. That's our first guarantee. True joy comes despite present circumstances. This is something that, that's easy to doubt, right? It, it's easy to doubt because we see a joyless society these last two years have exacerbated that joylessness. It was on the decline before. These last two years have really killed it. If our circumstances are what matters, we do not have joy. We all know people, we've experienced loss in our own lives, some from the virus and other things. We've lost, my grandpa died this last year, not because of the virus, but because of other things, but I didn't get to see him for the last about Nine months of his life because of the virus. Right? We all have those circumstances. Yet the text says in verse 10, this is good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For all the people. We see this by the very crowd that Jesus, or not Jesus, excuse me, the angel of the Lord reveals to these shepherds. These, uh, uh, Excuse me, I'm going to say that all over again. We see this truth, by the crowd that this angel desires to share the good news with, and that is with these shepherds. Biblically speaking, shepherds have a pretty good reputation, don't they? David was a shepherd, and he was known as this powerful shepherd. Everybody loved, and everybody everybody knew David, and, and they, as as Jewish people, would have looked back to him as a good shepherd, right? David himself, when he's writing Psalm 23, says that God is his shepherd. It's a pretty good shepherd, right? <laughs> Something to look up to. Ezekiel says, if you go skip forward to the prophets now, Ezekiel says that God would come and deal with the bad shepherds and that he himself would shepherd his people. He would come and feed the flock that the other shepherds weren't feeding. And we see that fulfilled in John chapter 10 where Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. And when he sends his disciples out after declaring himself to be the good shepherd, what does he do? tells Peter, go and what? Tend my lambs feed my sheep. Shepherding seems like a prestigious club, but it is not the case. It is not the case here in this text. Shepherds in this setting, in this time of history were a a very lowly people. Luke spends a great deal of time in his his text talking about the, the social outcasts and the rejects. And the shepherds are one of those groups of people that he brings attention to. They were ceremonially ceremonially unclean because of their work. They would constantly be dealing with things that, uh, well, came out of sheep, Be, be on one end or the other, or blood, and because of that, and because of their work, they were out in the fields and they were constantly exposed to those things that would have made them, according to the law of God, ceremonially unclean, and so they couldn't go into worship with their fellow believers. Because of their work, they were generally poor. It was an inherited job that didn't have a lot of money in it. They weren't popular in society partially because of this, but they were also known to kind of be swindlers so much so and and, and untrustworthy to the degree that most courts of law and most judges at that time would would not receive testimony from shepherds because they were liars. They were outcasts with a terrible reputation not exactly the best circumstances for a joyful life. Not only were they just by as a as a class rejected, but what do we notice when we see the story unfold? What is their response? Courtney and I went to the the play down at the Guthrie, The Christmas Carol last night, and there was a couple of scenes where uh, there was flashes of light And people would jump out of nowhere. And I jumped, right? We jump when we see things unexpected. The shepherds saw something unexpected that night. And I'm sure the flash of light in this dark field, they didn't have like the street lights probably. Maybe they were by a fire. We don't know. But what we do know is that there was a bright glory of the Lord shining around them. And what does Linus tell us? They were sore afraid, right? And as they were afraid... They had every reason to be. Sinners in the presence of a holy God, and when, when the glory of God is revealed to sinners, fear is an appropriate response. I'm going to die now. We re- they, they probably knew the Old Testament. You know, when they, they touched the Ark of the Covenant where the glory of the Lord rested, what happened when they even tried to steady it from falling off a cart? They died. The attendants died as they touched this Ark. Which held the glory of the Lord. The shepherds probably thought they were dead men. I've heard a lot of people talk about how enjoyable it would be to see an angel. I think back to that show, "Touched by an Angel." Anybody watched "Touched by an Angel"? It's not been on for like ever, but you know, at the end of the show, you know, all these horrible circumstances were happening, and there's Dela Reese and what's the other woman's name? Uh, it doesn't matter. And they're they're angels. And all of a sudden, at the end of the show, there's this really bright light, kind of like this round one that's in front of my face, that just kind of shines over them, and everything's better. It wasn't the case here. They were terribly afraid. Because their hearts embodied what the, the song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, says, when it says, the three words that describe you best are as follows, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk. Their hands stunk, and their hearts stunk. Sinners exposed to this have every reason to be joyless, yet it says in this very text, what do the angels say? What does the angel say to them? Don't be afraid. They don't have to be afraid. Despite their stinky hands and their stinky hearts, there is universal joy that comes for all the people. This universal joy is possible, and that's our second guarantee because true joy comes through permanent certainties. True joy comes through permanent certainties. Joy is like faith in that it always has an object. You don't just have joy. You have joy in something or because of something. There's a reason for the joy, something for which we're joyful. In, in many cases, What brings you joy might not bring me joy at all. There's a diversity in joy, what brings us joy. This text, though, promises a universal joy that applies to all people throughout all of history. Because transient joy is different for everyone, finding that common joy could be a challenge. Think about it. What reality could provide in a medieval peasant and a stockbroker on Wall Street today with joy? What one reality could do that? Or what about a soldier from the American Revolution in the middle of battle with a professional athlete from today? What could gladden the hearts of a widow in Jesus' day as well as the homeless person that we see as we drive down the street? It might be easier to answer if we look at it from the other angle. Not what is our common joy, But what's our common fear? What is our common fear? The common fear that unites humanity. Wouldn't you agree that this fear that humanity has collectively held is death itself? It's not so much death, the act of death, but what comes after death. This is a a concern because we each have the law of God written on our hearts. And innately, in some way, although it's dulled and darkened by broken consciences, We have this law written on our hearts. We know that we've not kept it. And what we need is uh, some, some recognition to make it right again. Some way to make it right again. To recognize that here is this holy God who gives this law and I've broken it. That's a concerning thing. That fear of death is universal. And it is exactly to those people, those who are fearing death, that the angels offer good news of great joy. Verse 11 contains the certainty of universal joy when it says, For unto you, that is to the shepherds and any sinner living in the fear of death, born to you in the city of David is born a Savior. Right? Savior implies what? Savior implies saving. Saving from what? From death. This is the fulfillment that they had been looking for throughout all of history. When Eve sinned in the garden and God gave them promises, the first good news that was given was your offspring pointing to Eve will crush his offspring pointing to Satan and he will crush his head. His heel will be struck, but Satan's head will be crushed. There's an end date. There's an expiration date to this guilt that needed to be dealt with. Here is the fulfillment of that. The son of Eve has come To crush Satan's head. Isaiah 35, the promise it says to the people of God who were living in darkness, who were dealing with all kinds of stresses from within and from without, their own wickedness and countries coming in to uh, usurp their land. To Isaiah he said, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. And this child, God Himself, came to rescue sinners who could not rescue themselves. The Savior came to save. That's what saviors do. They save, right? He came to destroy that enemy of death that stalks us all. Good news of great joy had come for all people. He came to secure forever that relationship between sinful humanity and His Father. In this, there is no distinction. It's a universal joy that destroys a universal fear. Christ came, death loses its sting, perfect joy is forever established. And it's for this reason that we can have joy even when our circumstances are like a song playing in a minor key. When we've lost our loved ones, when, we, when, when sadness has become our constant companion, the joy of Christ's rescue undergirds our sadness. Though trials come, relationship fails, relationships fail. Money vanishes, war be all around us, and pandemics destroy. What cannot be stolen from us is the joy of the promise that though weeping may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Your God has come, and he has rescued you. There was a baby born in a stable whose coming is the consolation to all who languish. That's why Simeon, later in this chapter, was able to declare, as he took baby Jesus in his arms and he was holding him, and he sang this joyful song and he said, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Functionally what Simeon's saying is, I can go die now. (laughs) It's perfectly okay for me to go die because my eyes have seen your salvation, that God has prepared in the presence of all the people. A light for the darkness, a glory revealed to every person. When the angel said for all people and unto you is born this day, he is saying this permanent certainty is there to forgive sins for you and for me and for all who believe. The joy maker, he's ours. Nothing can change that and therefore nothing can steal our joy. It's a universal promise. Finally, we're guaranteed in this text our third, third promise, which is that joy comes with perceptible change. Joy comes with perceptible change. We see this also in the example of the shepherds, don't we? These men who were terrified in the presence of a holy God in his glory found joy in the promise of a Savior who had been born for them, and that certainty affected their behavior. They couldn't conceal it. The first thing they did is they made haste, it says. They hastily got up and they went to see this thing that had been promised to them. We read in verse 17 that these unworthy men, these men who would not have been trusted in a court of law, were giving testimony to the mother of the Savior, of this joy-assuring gift of salvation. What the angels had promised about this child, they made known to these two new parents who were tasked to be the guardians and caregivers of God incarnate. Seems like a pretty rough job. Seems like somebody would want some good news at that time. And that song, by the way, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on? Mary, did you know that your. She did. Spoiler alert. She actually did know that. She was promised that by the angel when he came to her. But she needed to hear it again. Just like we need to hear that certainty again. The good news is something that we so quickly forget. The fear that steals our joy is something that, that, is, is something that, that steals that promise. It, it helps us. It's, it's kind of like uh, an amnesia-causing event where we forget the good news that is there. But the shepherds came, and God knew, and the angels knew, that, that Mary and Joseph were going to need to be encouraged in that moment. We see that Mary treasured all that in her heart. She took that and she pondered all these things. It, it was the truth in the bedrock of that sure and certain joy that would see her most recently into a flight into Egypt when Herod tried to kill all the baby boys, murder of the innocents, they call it. And it was also the thing that allowed her to see that son unjustly crucified on a cross, killed. These shepherds passed their joy along. It's the joy they retained, even though the struggles of this life continue to plague them, uh, until they too were laid in their graves. But their message didn't die. Like Simeon after them, they had a song in their heart and a joy-producing truth to claim that even death couldn't steal that joy. Their message of joy ha- has pervaded human history right down to us right here today. Well, I was in Pittsburgh <clears throat> as a pastor there, There was a year we got to the time for the Christmas program for the kids, and the person who was leading the Christmas program quit, and nothing had been ordered. And so with about 96 ounces of Starbucks coffee and a whole day sitting at a table in Starbucks, I wrote a poem, a pretty lengthy poem, that would serve as the basis for our children's message. Uh, in, In that, I wrote these words, and I want you to hear them as it speaks to our joy and our responsibility to spread it. said, These shepherds were a funny crew. They left their sheep alone. And we too would that same thing do if angels round us shone. The baby that the shepherds praised would be a shepherd too. But he would never leave his flock except to come find you. He's come to make our wandering hearts return to God most high, and by his death he'd make quite sure that we would never die. Today this is our message. It's this same joy we tell. Maybe high up on a mountain, maybe deep down in a well, but we who've seen his mercy cannot help but spread the news of this amazing Savior who brings life we cannot lose. So trust this Savior Jesus in his salvation rest. In his arms he'll carry you and bring you peace and rest. In this Advent season, as we long for Christ's return, we will face challenges at times that will erase the smiles from our face, but nothing can steal the joy promised in this passage. This is our joy through faith in him, and it's a joy that we are privileged to proclaim to a world that desperately needs it. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, these... Uh, are are your words and promises to us today. I thank you for this joy that is not dependent on our circumstance, but in your promises. I thank you it's a joy that we can proclaim even this year to a, a hurting world, to a world that is in many ways joyless for a number of circumstantial reasons. But in it, Lord, we see the promise of life in the midst of death. And that's all through Your Son who died so that we could live. And we pray this in His precious name. Amen.